Welcome into the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. It's been a long time, but we're back. Chin my Vaidya, Part Joshi, Anishtal, and Ashay Chavan. we got a full house here and a ton of cricket to talk about. We'll start in the IPL, though. Uh, the trades and the releases have happened, and there's some interesting names on both lists. And we'll start with the trades. Uh, Ravi Ashwin, obviously, he's been rumored to leave Kings Eleven Punjab for a long time. He goes on to Delhi Capitals. Ajinkya Rahane switches from the Rajasthan Royals to the Delhi Capitals as well. Delhi Capitals uh, also got rid of Shafane Rutherford and Mayank Markande, who came in from Mumbai Indians, got shipped out to Rajasthan Royals in the Ajinkya Rahane deal. So a lot of interesting trades. And then on the releases, some interesting names getting released from their franchises as well. Guys, what was the most surprising move for you either on the trade or the release front? in terms of IPL 2020 as we head into the auction. The RCB releasing all of Marcus Stoinis, Shimron Hemmeyer, and Tim Saudi for me. I think RCB just released like their whole squad. I think it's Virat Kohli, yeah, A.B. De Villiers, and that's it. I don't think there's any Moin other Ali. names. Moin Ali is Moin still Ali, there. Navdeep Saini, Parthi Patel. But yeah, they literally released like three or four pretty, pretty good players, including Nathan Coulter now. Like, I didn't know. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, I'm not surprised at all that it was RCB that did that. They're they're known to do those kinds of things. They're trying to reshuffle again. New coaching staff. Uh, not surprised. And once again, don't expect them to compete uh, for the IPL trophy in 2020. You know, when, you're, when your uh, franchise has been this bad for so long, you've got you've to gotta shake it up. Whether it works or not, you, you have to do it at the end of the day. So that is... That just it is what it is. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can understand the veterans for sure. The surprising thing for me, though, was that Shimron Hetmeyer gets released too. You know, after his first IPL season, you think that obviously not a great IPL season, but he's shown a lot of promise. So I'm, I'm surprised that they jumped ship on the youngsters too so early on. Um, obviously understood, but uh, yeah, it it was surprising still. So just to play devil's advocate here, first off, the international players don't get a lot of games to begin with. So there's not a huge sample size for evaluation. Then on top of that, you're deciding that after one season that they're they're no good for you when the IPL and T20 cricket in general is just a ton of regression to the mean over time, right? Like a guy plays four seasons, he's going to have ups and downs. But if you look at the overall line, it's going to be kind of that that average is still going to be pretty healthy. So it's just weird to me that RCB, they're jumping ship on these guys after one season where, you know, they could have a huge bounce back year the next year, uh, talking like regression to the mean. And also, you're only, you're only evaluating them really on four or five games. And, and is that really a fair evaluation? I know they haven't won a lot, and I know you, you want to shake things up, but doing it every single year kind of seems like maybe they should try to stick it out for a little bit. One of the strategies we've seen in the past in the auction is with these underperforming players they get released and then they're able to buy them back in the auction for a lower fee. And I'm I'm almost positive we're going to be seeing some of that throughout this year as well. But you look at the RCB squad right now, they actually only have two overseas players, A.B. De Villiers and Moeen Ali. So they've got six slots open for overseas players and two more playing slots open. So that's going to be a really big part of their auction. You can definitely tell. Any other surprises? I think some of Delhi's moves have been pretty interesting as a 
diehard Delhi fan myself, the representative here <laughs> on the podcast. Um, we've been through our lows, and last season was probably one of the highs of our IPL career so far. I think the deal for Ashwin was, I, I really like that deal. He's a, pro- he's a proven spinner. The Delhi's pitch has always proven to be a slow pitch. It's been more spin-friendly than uh, fastballer friendly. And if we can get a really quality Indian spinner out there, then all the better. You know, I'm tired of seeing Amit Mishra and Akshar Patel as our lead Indian spinners. So that's a really big uh, move that I loved. Now, sending Trent Bolt away to Mumbai, which I'm sure you guys are thrilled about. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, a little questionable. I mean, he, he did play well at the beginning of last season, but he definitely tapered off. And I think that overall for uh, Delhi, you know, we're going to be playing Rabada. I think this means we get to see more Sandeep Lamachani, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, just to see our parade of spinners on the Delhi pitch this year uh, should be exciting. And then the acquisition of Rahane was kind of a kind of a stumper in my head. You know, I think what this team lacked last year was that lower lower order punch. We had uh, you know really strong top four with Prithvi Shaw, Dhawan, Ayer, and Punt, but then we just needed a few finishers down in the order, and that's part of the reason why Chris Morris and Colin Monroe and Colin Ingram all got released because they didn't do the job. I'm not really sure what role Rahane is going to play from a playing perspective. Obviously, from a mentorship perspective, he'll be valuable to have. But that was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. Can you know Paul can hit in the middle or lower order? He can. He, his bowling, he was, it was probably par season for him last year in terms of bowling and batting. Someone needs to step up, and I think that's where Delhi's fourth, uh, fourth overseas player is going to have to be. And speaking of like the auction this year, one of the hottest names out there is Glenn Maxwell, which I'm sure every single team is going to be reaching for. Yeah, you mentioned Maxwell, uh, his former club, uh, Kings Eleven Punjab. They also released a lot of their kind of aging veteran players, overseas guys who who haven't been performing that well. Ashwin obviously got traded. Uh, David Miller gets the boot as well. So interesting to see what Kings Eleven are doing. KL Rahul is probably going to be the captain there, and we'll see what he can do. With that squad, you mentioned Mumbai as well, and I, I like the Bolt acquisition because I think he, he fits in really well into their bowling attack. They were losing some key pace bowlers. Uh, Alzari Joseph got released, and then Jason Berendorf is likely out for like three more months and is probably going to miss the IPL. So they needed another pace bowler, and Trent Bolt, left-handed pace bowler, overseas guy, uh, it's hard to say no to that. And so uh, I like that acquisition. I don't like that Mumbai sent away... Mayank Markande, after basically one good season that he had, he kind of got demoted. They do have two other good spinners in the fold, but it was interesting that they decided to basically give up on Mayank Markande after one good season. I I hope he succeeds uh, in Rajasthan. I think they're sticking with Rahul Chahar, and some of this is also behind the scenes. Like I'm I'm sure maybe Mayank Markande was asking to be traded to another team where he'd play because he barely got a game last year, so... Oh, no, I'm sure he asked to be traded. Came back and Giant Yadav was there, too. So those are pretty young spinners. Yeah. Ashay, you're surprised? No, not really. They, they, he didn't really play last year. Because they, like, Giant Yadav and Raul Char, Rose, um, they also have part-time spinner Kurnal Pandya. So I think they're really relying on their pace attack this year. I was going to say, interesting, they also got rid of Ben Cutting as well. It seemed like a, a solid all-rounder, someone that you'd really want in the back of your pocket, you know, as that 13th or 14th man on the squad. So surprised about that, too, and played some good games last year as well. Maybe they thought he's going to be overvalued this coming year and decide to part ways early. I'm very happy that Rahul Tripathi is finally freed from Rajasthan. 
Yeah, yep. Yeah, was that, was a, that was a brutal situation for him. Because he did really well when they were, um, I think, at Bune. But he, he's definitely going to be an interesting player to watch in the auction. Chris Lynn, another guy who was released shockingly. Very surprised to see him released. Uh, he's a dynamic batsman, can get going really quickly, and extremely dangerous. So it'll be interesting to see where he, he ends up. I'm sorry? He's pretty inconsistent of late, yeah, as of late, he hasn't been good. Um, that's fair. I don't see him not making a roster, though, this coming year. I think he's too dangerous oh, yeah, no, to just no, be left out fully. Sure. So it'll be interesting oh, to no, see where he goes. Get picked up. Mm-hmm. He'll definitely get picked up. I just think KKR thought they had better, the better, they had better batsmen at the top for what they had, I guess. Some not yep. surprising releases. Uh, they're big names, but we knew the writing was kind of on the wall. Robin Uttapa and then uh, oh, yeah. and then Yuvraj Singh. We we kind of knew the writing was on the wall for both these players. Not surprising at all, given the way T20 cricket is being played, given the way the IPL is being played, that these two guys have just kind of lost their kind of performance factor. I mean, they just don't they just don't have what it takes to play T20 cricket at the pace sort of that it's being played at and not necessarily, you know, it's not that they can't adapt to it, just that their strengths are not in that game. At least you've Singh used to be not anymore. I think it's just a question of age with him, but Robin Utapa was never a, a great, you know, T20 player. Yeah, I would say so, but I would say currently Robin Utapa is a little more equipped to play T20 right now than you Singh is. So um, of course, not surprising to see him go, but I, I think you Singh was, a shoe-in for getting released this year. He's He's been absolutely horrendous. Um, Robin Nuttapa, not, not great either, but, you know, he does put up runs. The run rate's not great. But, uh, yeah, it, it was about time you Raj Singh got the boot. Another name I'm interested in is to see what happens with Ashton Turner. We absolutely. all saw, we all yep. saw how he uh, absolutely demolished India uh, with his power. Uh, and, you know, it didn't quite... Uh, didn't quite work out for him with Rajasthan, but that's another foreign bat. Which a lot of these teams looking at the rosters, I think a lot of these teams' holes are in the five, six, and seven, and so that's definitely a name that could fill a hole this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think again, we mentioned some of the big bats, some of the international players, and then the trades that happen. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how these teams navigate the auction. A lot of talented players in there, and now these are all one-year deals. Now, so it's changed in the auction. So if you make a bad buy, you can get out of it after one year. And similarly, if you make a really good buy, that that player might be right back in the auction. So the structures are changing a little bit, and it's interesting to see how teams manage things uh, from here going forward. That's going to do it for uh, the IPL trade talk, and we'll see how the auction plays out. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Welcome back to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. You can subscribe to the podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcast from. Check us out on Facebook at the Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at the Follow On. As always, all of our stuff at followoncricket.com. We're talking Bangladesh and India. There was some T20 games. There was the day-night test, the pink ball test. A lot of crazy things happening, but at the end of the day, uh, India got it done aside from one T20 match. Dominating performance from the host, but we'll talk about Bangladesh has pretty much had the month from hell, as I would say. We talked about it last time, part their players were striking against the board, playing conditions, wages, uh, a whole gauntlet of things. 
And then Shaqib al-Hassan gets booked for not reporting a bookie approaching him. And he's done for a year. And he will not be eligible to play in Bangladesh's T20 World Cup qualifier games. So there's some qualifier groups ahead of the actual competition where Bangladesh has to play to make it through. And Shaqib will not be eligible for those. So pretty significant blow. I just want to make this clear that Shaqib al-Hassan did not engage in match fixing. A bookie approached him at some point and then talked to him about the IPL potentially being an option for fixing games, and Shakib just ignored it. And I guess the procedure is that you're supposed to report that to the governing bodies, the relevant governing bodies, and they'll handle it from there. And I understand, you know, he's not doing anything wrong. I understand where uh, the ICC is coming from, that he's a veteran player. He should know the procedure. At the same time, I don't know if a year's the right decision. Maybe he should be eligible to play in the T20 World Cup games. Your quick thoughts on Shakib's ban and match fixing still being a big part of the sport? Yeah, I think it's surprising to see it go that long. As you mentioned, Chinmay, he, he didn't actually engage in any sort of activity. And while I think we can all agree that it's it's not the best light to paint yourself in when you're when you get caught with a bookie, regardless of whether you're actually fixing matches or not, it is surprising to see him get banned for a full year for for how much he's done for Bangladesh cricket. So, and I'm surprised, and, and he got dropped out of the IPL as well, and I. I would have to assume that part of it would be with this scandal. So surprised to see that. I hope he's back soon. He's a great ambassador for the game. I, I don't see it getting shortened anytime soon, but uh, I would have liked to see a six-month ban um, for this sort of behavior. Yeah, so just to clarify, it's a two-year ban, actually, but it's one year if it's good behavior. So basically, it'll be one year, because I don't think he's going to engage in this kind of stuff, because he doesn't. Right, I was making the assumption that, yep, right. as you said, Chin might, yeah. Yeah, so it's actually a two-year ban, which is which is incredible. Yeah, it sucks, honestly. This has been going through the game for so long, and I'm sure there's so many other players out there who have been approached by bookies and just haven't been caught yet, but it just sucks to see such a good player and such a stand-up guy uh, out of the game, because he really is the heart and soul of this Bangladesh squad, and you really saw the life suck out of them throughout the series. I think I think one year is two years is far too harsh of a punishment. Um, if I remember correctly, it was there was just like texts that leak from like a bookie, you know, like a couple months in, like oh I, I forgot what the, exactly they were, but it was like something like oh what do you think about this match? And I don't even think he really responded to it other than like with question marks. So if they construed that as like not not a not reporting a bookie, I'm pretty sure there's every player has not every, but like a lot of players have certainly dealt with that in the past, especially subcontinental players. I think the problem here was that there was like a written exchange that he ignored and didn't come forward with, right? So like most, what I would assume in most cases is it's just a verbal thing, kind of back and forth, face to face type deal where there's no nothing actually on paper. But in this case, it was like a, a written communication that he actively ignored, which I think is part of the problem for him, at least in the ban. But yeah, I mean, what kind of book? First off, what kind of who? Which bookie is this? Just get him. This is amateur hour, really. Like if you're trying to fix a match, on WhatsApp, maybe the last the last thing you should probably do is message the player directly. Right. It makes no sense. And, and just going back to the, the actual punishment, if we look at this, 
I mean, Cameron Bancroft, David Warner, Steve Smith get the same punishment for actively tampering a ball in a well, less test less match, knowing about year. it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, overall less. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Steve Smith and David Warner originally were supposed to go for two years. It got shortened to 18 months, I believe, or something around there. But No, they both um, they yeah, all got Shantu. a year. They all got one was year. Was it all just a year? Yeah, it was they all just got a year. One year. Yeah. Yeah. So Shuckib technically I mean, I think he'll only it'll only be one year, but right, the initial punishment technically by the by the letter of the law, technically Shakib got a longer punishment. Which I mean, it, it is match fix like it's an attempt to fix a match, technically. Um, even though it really isn't. Because he's not recording yeah, exactly. it, right? So so it's the same type of the avenue of of like the, the legal avenue is the same. But right, the actions are are different. Absolutely, yeah. Th- this is not an active attempt to cheat, whereas the other one was. So um, I-, I draw a big line between the two actions and what their punishment should be. Personally, agreed. Uh, let's move on to the actual cricket now, because Bangladesh won the first T Twenty, if you guys recall, and it was kind of yeah. surprising. Uh, everyone thought India was going to walk through this series really easily, and Bangladesh wins the first T Twenty without Shakib, and then India storms back as expected, and in the test matches, there was just no question who was going to dominate, and, and India took care of the job. They're, they're rising in the World uh, Test Championship standings, but this is now, you know, India's going to get the test now. Now they're going to go to New Zealand, and they're going to play a New Zealand team that is looking really good. How do you feel about India after this series heading into their first real test challenge in this test championship circuit? I'm certainly excited to see them see them play more quality opposition. You know, pretty much every single person in the lineup performed well at some point during this two test series. Uh, but again, you're on home conditions. You're not playing a very strong opponent. So I'm not taking too much from this series other than the fact that we're going to be going into a new series of confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at it, there, there was zero pressure on the middle order. And we talk about this in the ODI format too. It's just a constant conversation that there's no pressure on the middle order. And when the pressure gets put on the middle order, that's when their true colors show. And we've seen some big collapses from India. So that's what I'm looking forward to here. There are going to be some innings where Virat Kohli, the openers, um, whether that's going to be Mayank and Rohit again or to be determined. Um, there are going to be a few games for that top four. They don't score more than a hundred runs combined. And so it's, it's really going to be a good test for that middle order to see if they're up to the test outside of India. Yeah, they've been able to get away with in this series and also in the West Indies series of Ravindra Jadeja playing uh, playing at sixth, and his batting will really be put to the test when they go to New Zealand. It also asks the question of whether Saha is going to be uh, is going to be the option in in New Zealand, right? I mean, we all know that he's the best wicket keeper out of the lot in India um, from a keeping yeah, standpoint. I um, as far as batting goes, we'll see if, if India's going to make that sacrifice to get a more dynamic scorer in the lineup um, over a better keeper. So that'll be an interesting question as well. I, I think they should stay with Saha. He, I think he's very experienced behind the stumps. And I think that they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't really mess with the lineup. They, they, they should be fine with having you know the top four stick the same, Rohit and Mayank give a good shot, and Pujara and Rohit. Um, I think... Obviously, the middle order, Jadeja at six. I don't know about that. They'll have to experiment a little bit with the middle order. As we've been saying, has been a theme for the past about a year. Uh, you know, like six, five, six, seven. Their, their trio of pace bowlers, I think, is 
make up one of the best attacks in the world. The pitches on New Zealand aren't aren't too uh, they're pretty bowler friendly. So I think our our bowling pace trio against New Zealand is a pretty good matchup to watch for. Yeah, one wicket keeping option to consider, uh, at least a part time option to consider with a little more batting power is KL Rahul. I think he has the fundamentals to stick in Test cricket. I just don't believe he's gotten the opportunities. And he also has the batting power to really put pressure on the opposition when he sees that opportunity. He has experience in in ODI and T20 cricket, and I feel like he should be given an opportunity. Now, his wicket-keeping skills, again, we can debate that and how up to to the mark they need to be going into an away test series. But that's one option to consider when you look at a guy who has – you know, more more batting power, more batting prowess than uh, Rhythm and Saha. I would hope that if they were thinking about doing that, they would have given him a trial during this West Indies series. Give him a trial in like an easier series uh, rather than throwing him into the Wolves uh, going to New Zealand. We'll also have to look to see if he's been keeping in Rundy Trophy or these other domestic tests. I think that would be a big barometer there. But yeah, if his keeping is up to par, I'd love to see him in the lineup. So we get to still see New Zealand, Australia in New Zealand. Oh, sorry, sorry, in Australia. Uh, so we'll really see how it plays out in terms of um, which which New Zealand team, sort of if they ever are able to win a series on Australia and India gets a little bit of a respite until then, which is definitely a good thing in terms of workload. Boomerang might come back booby as well. So a lot can change in the next couple months. Uh, going back to the wicketkeeping point, though, uh, I think it's, it, it's a good option to have him in for a T20 match. I, I would be concerned about him keeping for the full length of a test match. Um, as Anish mentioned, we don't know, not not really too familiar with what he's been doing uh, with his time off from international cricket recently, but I couldn't imagine that he's working too much on keeping, so I'm not sure if he's ready for a test series behind the wickets. Just an option to throw out there, but I, I do think India is going to be in for a real test in New Zealand, and you know we'll talk about it uh, later on in the episode, but New Zealand has looked really solid, and India's looked really good too. And, you know, they're marching on in this World Test Championship with, with really easy wins. They've taken care of business when they've had to, and they've beaten the teams that they've needed to beat. Now it's just a question of, you know, will they rise up to that challenge, the first kind of stiff test that they're going to face uh, in away conditions against a strong opponent. But the, the positive for India is at least they've taken care of business so far, and they've beaten the teams that they've needed to beat. There's a familiar expression in sports that you can only play the team in front of you. That, you know, the, the schedule is created in such a way that, you know, someone gets an easier schedule, someone gets a harder schedule, but you can only play the team that's in front of you. And India's beaten everybody in front of them so far when it comes to the World Test Championship. So that's all you can ask for, really, if, if you're an India fan. And all I can say is there's, you know, they can afford to have some hiccups in this series because it's still very early in the circuit. But this will be definitely a, a good gauge of where India is at in terms of, uh, you know, being a, a test power. And it's really, really uh, fantastic that we have the chance to go to New Zealand and we'll have four to five top drawer fast bowlers to be able to take advantage of the conditions there. And honestly, no matter who we play, I feel like there's really not a drop down from. Uh, you know, Kumar, Bumrah, Yadav, Sharma, Shami, they've all been performing, and that's really, really exciting for Indian cricket. When we come back, we'll talk about New Zealand and their series with England, and we'll also take a look at Australia's demolition 
of Pakistan. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Back here on the follow-on podcast, Chinmay Vaidya Part Joshi, Anish Tal, and Ashay Chavan. We're talking England, New Zealand, and Australia, Pakistan. We'll start with the England, New Zealand tour. There were five T20s, came down to the wire in the fifth T20, tied at 2-2, went to a super over, and a super over between England and New Zealand. Uh, that seems to be a thing nowadays. And England ended up winning just like they did in the summer in the Super Over. A good series for England. They came back and won. Uh, it was New Zealand was up 2-1 in the T20 series, and then England came back. They were experimenting with some new players. We saw a lot of new faces in there. But the big key for me, at least the big takeaway watching, was Chris Jordan and his performance with both bat and ball. And just a hypothetical here, if England really wants to, during the T20 World Cup, which is going to be down under in Australia, similar conditions between Australia and New Zealand in terms of you know pace-friendly wickets, bowler-friendly conditions. If England really wanted to, they could trot out five pacers, and their only real non-batsman option would be Jofra Archer. And we've seen what he can do with a couple swings of the bat in, in IPL competitions. So England could potentially, if they really wanted to, bat 1 through 11 in a T20 match, and that is a scary thought. Very much so. I mean, they, they've just found the cream of the crop of athletes in terms of uh, cricketers who, uh, you know, just 10 years ago, we saw that cricketers just, you know, couldn't move, honestly. Um, a lot of subcontinent players, and it's really changed, and it's fascinating to see these athletes come in, be able to bowl, bat, field, do all of it. It always used to be, if you're a fast bowler, um, you bat down the order, and you you hold the bat like a, a golf tee, or sorry, a golf <laughs> club, and you can't bend and field. You, you have to field at third man, and if it's coming low and too fast, you're not going to field it. So it's incredible to see what's happening. England has really shaped their lineup. Um, just even past the first 11, they have they really have a list of 20 to 25 players now who are waiting there, all premier athletes who can step in and um, make big plays in all three facets of the game. So England's in great shape going forward. England's limited over transformation over the past few years has really been uh, really been a spectacle to watch. I mean, England was also batting one through eleven in the World Cup, and we definitely saw this summer how it makes the difference. But also, just like when you're facing them, that's really demoralizing because a lot of the time, you know, back in the day, you play, you get four or five wickets, and you're like, all right, we can knock down the rest of these guys pretty quickly. And how often are we seeing more and more where the lower order is outscoring the top order? And that's just another testament to the squad that they're building. New Zealand did turn it around, though, in the test series. Uh, They got the win in the first test and then the draw in the second test due to some weather conditions. But New Zealand looked really good uh, batting when it came to the test matches. BJ Watling, a phenomenal double hundred. Tom Latham had a great century as an opener. And Latham's really been, you know, we saw at the World Cup in the middle order, he was kind of the fundamental guy. And I think a lot of that really comes from his background as a test opener. He's been really solid for New Zealand in tests, and and he's able to transform that into the one-day game. And it'll be interesting to see if they can do that with some of these other players, like Colin DeGrandhome and Mitchell Santner. Santner had had some great uh, innings down in the the lower order. So we'll see if Mitchell Santner, that was another key for me 
in this tour was Mitchell Santner. How is he going to do against the England attack? And he did really well in that first test match. And if he can transfer that in to the limited overs game, we saw a little bit of it at the World Cup with New Zealand's all-rounders with Nisham, DeGrandom, and Santner. But if Santner can take that next leap forward with the bat, then New Zealand is going to have a pretty solid lower order in terms of batting power uh, if Mitchell Santner can make that jump. And we saw some of that, the fundamentals at least, of being able to stay out and bat for a long time. We saw that in this series against England. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the first game, New Zealand bats once, uh, beats England, doubles their score after two innings, and the top five don't even score 50. None of them score 50. Or excuse me, actually, Kane Williamson, 51. Um, but aside from that, no one scores 50. We have Watling with 205, Santner with 126. And New Zealand wins a test match in one inning over England. So that's astonishing to me and a great sign, as you mentioned, Chen Mai, for, for their lower order coming to life. Um, obviously, England, a much better showing with the bat in the second innings. A lot of thanks to Joe Root. But yeah, that, that was a big takeaway for me as well. If... if New Zealand can bat that well, uh, that deep into their order. That's going to be a lot of trouble for India as well when they come visit. Yeah, uh, New, New Zealand's batting really, er, pretty much everyone, I think, except Jeet Ravala performed in the series. After that. Um, <laughs> you, would, you would be correct in that, yeah. uh, in that <laughs> yeah, statement. Poor guy. poor guy, seeing everyone succeed and then you're just the one guy where that's not happening for him. But the other thing I wanted to bring up was England's bowling attack because they looked absolutely toothless throughout this entire series. And that was really capped off by Ross Taylor and uh, Kane Williams going T20 mode to get some centuries before the last <laughs> I, mean, dro- I mean, Kane was dropped like three times. Also, what was that drop? Like, the commentator literally made up a word for that. He was like, you have to pause and think of a word. It was like more worse than a sitter. Yeah, Joe Denley is uh, not going to forget that one for the rest of his career. Yeah, luckily that was a run. was laughing it off because he knew it was going to be a draw. But like, if it was a critical situation, then that one would be that would be like one of the worst of all time. But luckily, it was about to rain. So, but but still, yeah, it's still it's still not a good look. And England dropped a lot of catches in the T Twenty series. James Vince, every single match was putting down multiple. Opportunities that an international cricketer should should probably take. And Joe Root missed a couple. I think Ben Stokes, a guy who's really good in the field and had an amazing summer in terms of fielding the ball, he missed one. And England was pretty sloppy in the field throughout this series uh, in both the T20 and the Test matches. And, and their bowling attack kind of suffered. Uh, Jofra Archer did not look like the player that we've come to know. Uh, he struggled. In this test series and you know obviously he's he's new to the test game so maybe a little bit of an adjustment period not in home conditions so you know that's going to be difficult for him as well but we'll see you know India needs to really look at this series and, and take some note that the conditions might not be that great for fast bowlers or they just need to find out you know and and hone in on what England did and, and do the opposite because it really didn't work for England. Yeah, I mean, I mean, out of all the pacers that came in, it, it was just, you know, the, it never looked like they, for a lot of the time, it didn't seem like they were ever in contention to take a wicket. It, it was just total domination by the New Zealand batting lineup. You know, there's times where you say, oh, you know, they're scoring runs, but it, it feels like a wicket is coming. It feels like a wicket is coming. When I was watching both of these test matches, at no point did it seem like any of these bowlers were going to take a wicket. Uh, it was pretty concerning. 
And again, you know, in the second match where England was able to draw it, it, it really came down to Broad being the only one who bowled well. And we've seen that over the last few years in test matches. It's usually Broad and Jimmy Anderson who come out as the old guys and are, and are the ones who are leading the bowling attack. So it's time for some of these young English bowlers who have been good in limited formats to really step up and take the next step in the test game. Yeah, that's what, that's what Sam Curran had a good quote before the series started was, you know, he's always getting dropped for Chris Rokes and he wanted to give England a reason during the series to make him part of one of their permanent uh, staples in the lineup. And I really don't think he did that, but that kind of goes for the rest of their bowling lineup. You know, the New Zealand bowler that had the best success during the series was Neil Wagner. And he's he's not your typical swing bowler. He's not your new ball bowler. He's not the control bowler. He's the guy banging in the short balls. And so that's going to be something for India to have to take a look at. Who's going to take on that responsibility? Is that going to be, is that going to be Shami? Is that going to be Ishant Sharma? Uh, is that going to be Bumrah? They're all going to have to change their bowling a little bit to adapt to the, to the way to get wickets in New Zealand. I've never seen a pacer bowl so many slower balls in a test match. That was the most astonishing part to me. Wagner was bowling several slower balls. Not that many of them took any wickets, but I guess it's just the idea of the the methodology that he used to attack this England batting lineup. It, it was unique. It was very different. And yeah, Anish, like you said, it, it may be uh, India needs to study that a little bit because they may not be able to come into New Zealand and just pull sheer pace and expect to, the ball to swing a lot for an extended period of time. Do you guys think that England's lack of a true spinner hurt them in this test series? Because they didn't have that true specialist spinner. Joe Root was kind of the the spin option for them, whereas New Zealand did play Santner. 100%. Oh, yeah. Even if a spinner's not taking wickets, what they're able to do is they're uh, a lot of the times they're able to uh, bowl with a good economy. They're able to hold one end down. You're able to get through overs quickly. You're able to give all of your pacers some rest. And so they, they can uh, serve a big role even if you don't see them necessarily taking all the wickets. And so England, you know, Leach didn't really perform well in the first test. He gets hurt. And then your spin options are only Joe Root and Joe Denley. So your fast bowlers get tired after, after some time. And when you're in the field for so many overs like they were, yeah, their performance is going to drop even more than it was when they started. So that... I'm sure that made a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, you know, in the first innings that New Zealand bowled, Sander only gets six overs. So basically a non-factor. And New Zealand bowls out England, you know, for a lower than par score, I guess, since New Zealand put up so much in their first innings. Um, but yeah, definitely in that second innings, in the first test match, you saw Sander come in, uh, bowl several overs, keep the run rate under two, build the pressure, like Anish said. So yeah, I, I think that plays a huge factor. When England has to trot out Joe Root, it's you know he's one of the better batsman spinners, but he, he's not putting on the same pressure um, and the same you know uh, shrink on the batsman on the batting partners as as Sandner is. It's definitely gonna be exciting to see what India and New Zealand do in this upcoming series that they have because New Zealand has been really dominant at home. This series, the England New Zealand series, didn't count in the World Test Championship for points because of some scheduling. But India and New Zealand is going to count in the World Test Championship. So it's definitely going to be interesting with the stakes. Both teams looking really good. New Zealand a dominant home team. That's definitely going to be an exciting series to watch and, and one I'm looking forward to. We'll move up now a little bit to Australia and Pakistan. And, I mean, this was just a dominant batting performance by Australia. David Warner, triple hundred. 
Uh, Joe Burns had a century. Marnus Labuschagne had a century. Uh, came very close to a double hundred himself. In fact, the only Australian batsman who didn't really perform was Steve Smith. And that's a surprise. He didn't cross too. So I guess that's what it, it, sh- it just shows that it's not 100% necessary for him to do, you know, exceptional. And the rest of the team can still perform around him. Granted, David Warner did score 470 runs or something in this series. And one of them, or 330 of them came in one innings. But they were down on both sides of the ball. Mitchell Stark got 14 wickets in both the tests. And the entire Pakistan squad only got 13 in two of the tests. So he, he out he, out, he out bowled the entire team. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's embarrassing. And Warner, uh, he started off, or not even started off, like the rest of the year, his his test his test results were below par, and and then this this test series he average he got he was out given out one time and he got four hundred and forty runs. So his average for this series is something to be, you know, it's, it's otherworldly. Warner has definitely been in home conditions in the T Twenty series against Sri Lanka. He was dominant. Australia uh, swept that, by the way, three zero. And then now in the Test Series, he's looking really good. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting one when Australia plays New Zealand here in a couple weeks. It's going to be interesting to see what David Warner can do. But he's on fire right now. I mean, that man, it's going to be really hard to stop him from scoring runs. He is on fire. He looks like he's out for redemption after missing a year of cricket. That guy is is at the peak of, of his form, in my opinion, right now, at least at least in the Test format. He looks unstoppable. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, like you said, Chinmay, of course, he, he likes the home conditions a lot better. Uh, struggled a little bit outside of Australia earlier this year, but uh, can't argue with 335. So uh, definitely on a roll, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of momentum going into the next series against New Zealand. Australia is, is similar to India in the sense that they're built to, their team, their lineup is built to win games at home, and they're just dominant uh, it, on their home turf. I mean, you look at their bowling lineup, as Shea said, Stark, uh, just went crazy in terms of taking wickets. Lyon is a spinner that's built for Australian conditions perfectly um, with the way he varies his length, uh, has, a, has a good amount of flight, very consistent, ties the batsman down. And of course, the rest of the Australian bowling lineup as well, Hazelwood and Cummins, there's there's no rest when you face that Australian bowling attack in Australia when there, where there's bounce. So uh, comprehensive performance from Australia. I think they also found another gem in Marnus Labuschagne. Uh, he was able to get that big score to back himself, back his confidence. They say he's very fundamental, and he's just trying to take after Steve Smith in that he, you know, has like all these unorthodox shots. But I think that he, he's someone to watch out for in the future as well, which is a pretty good find. And he got that because Maxwell had, you know, some bad run of form of late. But I think he's going to hold on to that spot. Australian middle order just never stops. It just keeps coming. It's just next man up. Ricky Ponting, Michael Clark, Michael Hussey, George Bailey, Marnus Labuschagne now. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously Steve Smith is, is in there as well. But you mentioned Labuschagne as a, sort of the future of Australian cricket uh, in the middle order with Steve Smith. And he's one guy to look for in the next year in the limited overs format. We saw at the World Cup, Australia really in that 4-5 spot had some struggles with some of the players that they were uh, throwing out there. And we mentioned some other guys who we were kind of surprised that they didn't get the World Cup call, like Hanscom or Ashton Turner. They didn't try him out. Uh, even Maxwell was batting, you know, he's lower down the order. He's not your your traditional middle order guy. Alex Carey stepped up. 
But I think Labuschagne is a guy to look out for in that you know four or five spot with Hanscom not really being favored by the Australian cricket management, and then Usman Khwaja having uh, a poor run of form himself. So Labuschagne definitely grabbed his opportunities, and you know Australian middle order just it just never stops. It's next man up, and Labuschagne looks like he's the next guy. Parthi mentioned Nathan Lyon, and he was actually the one who delivered the breakthroughs for Australia. In that second test match, it looked like Pakistan was going to hold out for a little bit in their second innings when they had to follow on. It looked like it was going to be a little bit of a difficult task for Australia. And then Nathan Lyon gets those three wickets, and all of a sudden that, you know, the middle order is exposed, and then the pace bowlers come in and, and clean things up. So, you know, it's important to have that spinner who can do some damage in home conditions, and, and Nathan Lyon definitely stepped up for Australia. Yep, absolutely, yep. You know, Nathan Lyon's always going to be consistent. We know what to expect from him. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's always there to provide those breakthroughs when it seems like a partnership is building. It always seems like Nathan Lyon, even, you know, outside of Australia, is the one to break it. Uh, One thing I do have to call out, since my favorite captain just got removed before this series, um, I do want to call out that moment. Rizwan did come out. He scored 95 off 145 in the second innings. In the first innings, uh, you know, nothing special, 37 off 34. But I will call out that that's already 10 times better than Sarfraz. So great decision by Pakistan, and I would love to highlight that several more times. And you will hear me highlight it several more times. Hey, Mohammad Rizwan had some spectacular catches as the keeper, actually. And uh, yeah, he looked, really good. He looked really good back there. So that's definitely something for Pakistan to carry from this series. Mohammad Rizwan looked really good. Yasir Shah scored a century out of nowhere. That was yep. amazing as well. But the rest of the Pakistan His order, they, they, need, they need to overhaul much of their batting lineup. It, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. And it wasn't like you know these guys were getting out to good bowling, which, I mean, they were. The Australian bowlers are not, you know, run-of-the-mill guys. These are world-class players. But it just never looked like they were – Pakistan's batters were confident. It just didn't look like they were confident in their shots, confident – in their playmaking ability, and and it really showed, especially in that first test match, uh, it looked like, you know, they they had nowhere to go. And in the second test, even, that first innings, I mean, that was terrible. And I know Australia put up big scores, so it didn't really matter at the end of the day. But in games that are going to be more competitive, you need to have batsmen who are confident in their ability. And it just looked like these guys were totally overwhelmed. Yeah, when you're you're seven and eight batsmen, Rizwan and Shah are, your number two and your number three batsman for a series, that's a problem. And again, back to Pakistan, you know, we usually know them for their fast bowling. I thought their their bowling attack looked extremely flat in this series. Granted, David Warner was just going off completely, but I mean, you know, Afridi, Shah, and Imran Khan, they got in some youngsters into this lineup, but they just made no weight. Not beating any edges, even with the new ball, they just looked completely flat. So trying to determine if it was um, the Australian batting lineup or them, but I would have to give them at least part of the blame for not, not being able to produce any chances. Back to the drawing board for Misbah, unfortunately. You have no idea how happy I am to hear you say that, Anish, that you said <laughs> Misbah and not our other friends. I told oh, you it was going to come up again. Oh, man. <laughs> everyone, everyone take a drink every time his name is mentioned. <laughs> Uh, we got we got to mention his name a lot in that case. Uh, that's going to do it for us here. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at The Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at The Follow On, as always. 
all of our content at followoncricket.com. Take a drink for Sarfraz.